in that uh, piece of scripture, um, we are going to circle back around to that uh, portion of scripture um, as we lay out what it looks like to see that our God is a purposeful God. And so we're going to continue our march uh, toward looking at the attributes of God. We have wrapped up looking at the moral attributes of God, things like uh, love, goodness, holiness, etc., And so now we're moving on to a new set of attributes, these attributes that are generally called God's attributes of purpose, things such as God's will, God's freedom, and God's omnipotence. Um, These attributes inform us how God um, makes decisions and carries out decisions. So what I'm going to do is just pray real quick again, um, and then we'll turn our attention uh, to where we're going, what our aim, what our main point is. And then we'll turn to the scriptures and see how the scriptures inform us that our God is a purposeful God. Our God is a God of will. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would use this time now, um, that you would come and fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Use me as your servant. Fill me with your spirit. May your word go forth boldly and land on us rightly. May we walk out of here loving our Jesus more because of what we learn from the scriptures today. Tune the ears of our hearts to hear you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So our God is a purposeful God. And underneath this big idea, we're going to concentrate on this singular attribute of God's will. Next week, we'll look at omnipotence. But today, as we take our mind's eye and our attention and our devotions, and we focus them on God being a purposeful God, focusing on God's will, what we're going to do is see that there are two very helpful categories that come to us to help us think through this idea of God being a God of will. And it's going to be this, the categories of God's secret will and God's revealed will. God's secret will and God's revealed will. So our main goal will be to study these two aspects of God's will and then see how God's revealed will becomes for us a source of joy. It's not merely just, again, things we learn so that we just have fat heads full of the knowledge of God and it produces no actions in us. But what we're going to do is see that as we look in the scriptures and see what a right response to the scriptures are as they come back to us is that when we see that God is a God of will and he has a secret will and a revealed will, it's meant to stir up within us joy and hope and peace. So we're going to do this in a twofold way. We're going to look at God's will in general, just this general idea, give us again a definition that we can hang our thoughts on and just as it describes to us what it looks like for God to be a God of will. But then what we're going to do is just focus the lens a little bit tighter and look in at Scripture as it teaches us about God's secret will and God's revealed will. So first, let's look at a definition. God's will is that attribute of God where he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary For the existence and activity of himself and the existence and activity of all creation. This is a bit of a hefty definition, so so tune in here. God's will is that attribute of God where he approves and determines 
to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and the existence and activity of all creation. This definition just simply indicates that God's will has to do with deciding and approving the things that God is and God does. It concerns God's choice of what to do and what he does not do. So when thinking about this general category, this 40,000 foot flyover idea of God's will, the scriptures indicate God's will as the final or most ultimate reason for everything that happens, eternity past, present, and future. God is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1. God has a purposeful omnisciently crafted plan and he continually brings about everything in the universe in such a way that is true to himself in order to accomplish the very things that he wants done some examples of this just scream out from the pages of scripture human government comes about according to god's will you see this in daniel chapter 2 daniel chapter 4 paul talks about this in romans 13 another area where we see this is true are the events connected with the death of Jesus. They were according to God's will. You see this Isaiah 53, Acts 2 and Acts 4. We are even to see all events of our lives as subject to God's will. We see this in in James chapter 4, verse 15. So now with this said about God's will in general... This idea that God is crafting and doing, God is acting in such a way where he is making decisions that are in accord with himself. He is exhibiting behavior, exhibiting thoughts, exhibiting words that are in right behavior and right accord with who he is and all that he is. He is orchestrating human governments, kingdoms, politicians, even the death of Christ, our salvation, even all areas of our life. We're supposed to submit them to the will of God. But if that is a broad 40,000-foot flyover, are there sort of some more tangible ways that we can bring that big truth down and hit home to us? And I really think there is. And it's when we think through these two categories, as I said, God's secret will and God's revealed will. Now, like the Trinity, as we talked in the past, the Trinity, there's no scripture where we can point to and say, here is this term Trinity. And in a sense, there is no definite piece of scripture that comes around and says hey this is how you systematically think about god's secret will and this is how you systematically think about god's revealed will but as you read in deuteronomy 29 this idea is floating there in verse 29 as moses is talking to the people about the secret things of the lord and the revealed things of the lord so what we want to do is hone in on god's will in general So we can more fully explore the purpose of God's ways by looking at those twin ideas, secret will, revealed will. And so again, here are some some hooks to hang hang some thoughts on. So what's the difference there? So if God is orchestrating all things and all universe in right accord, right behavior, according to who he is, how can we more definitely think about this? What are some wheels that we can give to these thoughts so we can move forward? And I think it could be described like this. God's secret will usually includes his hidden decrees by which he governs the universe and determines everything that will happen. We find out God's secret will when events actually happen. So there are things coming down the road that are going to happen in your life and that are going to happen in my life. Things that we don't know right now because we are not God. 
But because God is omniscient and God knows all things, God beyond a shadow of a doubt knows exactly what is coming your way. Suffering, blessing, good, bad, God knows what is coming your way. And we will know what is coming our way when we actually enter into that if for some way, in some shape, some form, that is somehow not revealed to us. So God's secret will usually includes his hidden decrees by which he governs the universe and determines everything that will happen. And we find out God's secret will when events actually happen. So that's secret will. On the other hand, this category, this idea, this thought of God's revealed will is God's declared will concerning what we should do or what God commands us to do. So God's secret will are those things that God is willing that will beyond a shadow of a doubt come to pass. Things that he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, but we may not necessarily know. But God's revealed will is simply this. God's declared things, the things that he wants us to know concerning what we should do while we're here on earth and what God commands us to do, how to be obedient to him while we're here on earth. So God, in the infinite greatness of his personality, is able to will things in different ways. And in many ways, you and I experience this same thing. So, I mean, as we're thinking about this and we're stepping back and we're like going, okay, God's will and he's orchestrating things and secret and revealed. And, you know, how, how how does that work in me? And if you remember, this is a communicable attribute. This is an attribute that God communicates to us in a certain way. So there's a certain way in which you and which I can step into and image this idea of secret will and revealed will. And actually, there's a bunch of us who are about ready to experience this in a very very real way. Um, We've got Christmas coming up. And on some level, we are all about to experience the difference between secret will and revealed will, right? So I can secretly will to purchase a set of toys for my children. I can decide today I want to buy toys for my children and that I'm going to go and buy them, say, tomorrow. And I'm going to store them up in a closet so my kids don't find them so that I can give them to them on Christmas Day. I've willed it. I've decided it's going to happen. I'm going to buy it. And I know that on a future day, they're going to receive these things that I've bought for them. So I can secretly will to purchase a set of toys for my children. It won't be until later on Christmas Day that what I have willed secretly becomes revealed. And when the event of Christmas Day happens, my children will know the full extent of my secret will in this regard. I mean, what I, they don't know what I'm thinking now. It's secret to me now, but there is a day when they come screaming down the steps and they are ripping into the wrapping. What I have willed secretly now will become full-blown, full-orbed, fully known by them on that day. And so that's how sometimes God interacts with us. He has things planned for us that we don't necessarily know about now. We can't necessarily open the scriptures and find out what God has for us sometimes, like in a month or in a year, or we're going to be in another season of life, or what life looks like for us when we're empty nesters, or when a spouse passes away, or these types of things. But when those days come, we will know them because we're going to be living in them exactly in that moment. But now if I wanted to... With my children, I could tell my secret will, reveal my secret will to my children before the actual event I willed even takes place. And God sometimes does that, right? So what I could do today is go, you know what? I want to buy a certain amount of toys for my kids on Christmas Day. I could go and buy them on Monday 
And then on Friday, I could come and say, hey, you know what? I bought you some toys for Christmas, but you're not going to get them until Christmas. And I could reveal to them, in a sense, hey, I have willed this for you, but you will not know the full-blown aspect of what's coming your way until that day. So there is a balance between us, although it's a, a slight, sort of a marred image, but we can think in these ways of secret will and revealed will. And in a sense, God, in a completely holy, completely right, completely good way, God interacts with creation in much the same way. So Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, gives us one of those key verses that helps us better understand this aspect of God. It's Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. So in the history of Israel, there were many things not revealed by God to his people. Details about future events, specific details of hardship or blessing in their lives and so on. They were called over and over to see and take great joy in the fact that the Lord is good, merciful, gracious, patient, loving, faithful, and forgiving. And these true things about God were meant to anchor their souls to God for those times when they looked up looked at the horizon, saw nothing but suffering and hardship and and questions, and I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't quite know where God is taking us. What exactly is God doing in our lives? As they looked up and they scanned the horizon and they saw these things that they didn't quite know how to answer for why they were happening to them and in their lives, these true things about God, God's goodness and mercy and grace and patience, were meant to anchor their souls to God For those times when they looked up and couldn't make sense of a single thing that was going on in their life. They were to hear these future words of Isaiah stamped all across scripture. But made very poignant in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. They were to hear this confession and connect this confession back to God's goodness and breathe a deep sigh of relief. But what did they do? Oftentimes, they got so hung up on this idea of, God, I don't know what you're doing. God, you said you were good for us. God, it doesn't look like anything that you have told us about yourself is actually true. They are constantly whining, constantly complaining, constantly grumbling. And instead of taking a deep breath of peace and resting in the secret will of God, God said, I'm good. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm going to be your God and you're my people. I am leading you to goodness, to blessing. You are a people of my favor. But what do the people do? They chose to ignore those things and in the moment concentrate so highly on the fact that the surroundings around them didn't make sense that they forgot and negated doing what God called them to do in that moment performing, living out, obeying God's revealed will. They were concentrating so much on the circumstances they didn't know this idea of the secret will, and it brought them judgment because they forgot to connect the confession of God's goodness to their situation in life of where they are. They were to hear this confession 
and connect this confession back to God's goodness breathe a deep sigh of peace. God had a plan for his people, and even though they didn't know exactly how this plan would play out in regard to these secret things, the scriptures over and over and over and over and over again comes back and says, you don't you are not supposed to know the secret things of the Lord. If you knew the secret things of the Lord, then you would be the Lord. The secret things of the Lord belong to our God, the Lord, in the areas where you don't know about these secret things, you are meant to simply trust and rest that God is for us and God is not against us. But as for God's revealed will, these things were given so that, what what does 29 say? So that Israel may do all the words of this law. The revealed will of God is God's declared will concerning what we should do or what God commands us to do. So the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. So there's things that only God knows, but then there are things that are as plain as the nose on your face that are laid out very plainly, very simply in Scripture out before us. And Moses is saying, those things belong to God. We should not seek or attain or strive to necessarily know those things. But the things we are to give ourselves to, the things that we are to teach to our children forever, the things that are to belong to us, are the simple, plain, ordinary, revealed will of God as seen for the people of Israel, which is what was God's law. Things like the book of the covenant. Chapters 21 through 23, all of Leviticus, these laws that God was giving to him, these were the revealed things of God to his people. For us as New Testament, New Covenant believers, what we would say is is the whole totality of Scripture. These things are the revealed things from God to us. And it's not just so that we can open it up and go, man, that's really cool that God has revealed that to us. It's meant, the scriptures say here in verse 29, that these revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. Why? So that we may do all the words of this law. But what we often do is get so hung up on our inability to know God's secret will that we spend all of our time bemoaning our current situation in life to the neglect of God's revealed will. Rather, we are called to be faithful with what God has plainly revealed to us now so that we may be obedient to God's will in the moment. So the simple, plain commands of God have been given for our good so that we may have joy in knowing how to serve God rightly. God has spoken very plainly to us, very clearly. There is a very simple, graspable truth, whether you're seven whether you're 60, to where you open the scriptures and there are just the plain revealed things of God sitting there for us. And Paul says we are called to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's Ephesians 5.17. When it comes to understanding what the will of the Lord is, the Bible teaches us a twofold approach characterized by these terms. Understanding and response. We are called to understand these revealed things of God But we're not merely called just to understand them and know them, but we're called to understand and know them so that we can respond rightly to them in acts of joyful obedience. So first, we are to understand that God has revealed his will to us. God has not left us, his children, 
in the dark to stumble around and try to figure out what pleases him. And second, there are proper responses to his revealed will. So truly, God's revealed will for his people is good and for our joy. And we are to be students of his revealed will, the scriptures, and understand what he desires of us. So as we become students of the scriptures and we're reading and we're giving ourselves to it and we're memorizing it and we're meditating upon it. And as we spend a lifetime soaking in it and soaking in it and rereading it and reading it again and rereading it again and rereading it again and giving ourselves to it and submitting ourselves under the authority of it. It's all for a purpose so that we can understand it and know it. So that you can walk out of these doors and go, what does God want from me in life? God has appointed my days from my day of my birth to the day of my death. And God has given me a set amount of days. And in these set amount of days, God desires something of you. What does God desire of you? It's in the Bible. And we're to read it and to know it and to soak ourselves in it. But here are just some bullet points of some simple things from Scripture that God desires of us in this realm of understanding of what he wants from us so that we can rightly honor him in this realm of these revealed things to us. God desires loving obedience. Matthew 22, verses 35 to 38. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The great commandment, the the people were coming to Jesus, said, okay, Jesus, yeah, a a lot of stuff that's been revealed to us, right? A lot of things, a lot of rules, a lot in Deuteronomy, a lot in Exodus, a lot going on in Leviticus. Jesus, can we we sum this all down? How, How can we boil all these things down that God desires of us into a nice, succinct little statement? And Jesus gives it to him. He says this, if you want to boil everything down that is required of you, that God desires from you, it is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great, this is the first commandment. God desires from you and me loving, joyful obedience. Then he goes on and he follows it up in verse 20, Matthew 22, verse 39. And he teaches the people that not only does God desire loving obedience, but God desires love for another. God desires for there to be a right vertical relationship between God and man and man and God. And then as that vertical relationship is right, what God desires is then for that vertical relationship to have an impact on you so that as you turn out towards your horizontal relationships, that you rightly show love for one another. We can love others because God has first loved us. Matthew 22, verse 39, Jesus follows up the conversation with the lawyer like this. And the second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What else does God desire of us? God desires worship. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you have Peter, straight ripping language out of Exodus 19. He's flashing back to his Old Testament. 
He's got his Old Testament commentaries there in front of him. He's got the Old Testament book of Exodus out there in front of him. And as he's penning a letter to his people that he wants to know, react rightly to who Christ is, he comes along in 1 Peter 2.9 and says this, But you people, you New Testament saints who have been bought by the blood of Christ, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his possession. Why? Why is this true? Why are you a chosen race? Why are you a royal priesthood? Why are you marked out as a holy nation? Why are you marked out as a people for his own possession? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So part of the revealed will for you and for myself is to realize this. I once was not a chosen race. I once was not a royal priesthood. I once was not a holy nation. I once was not a people for his own possession. But that is now completely changed. I've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. I've been transplanted into the kingdom of the beloved son. And because this has happened to me, not because of me, but despite me, I am to be a worshiper of God, proclaiming the excellencies of him who transferred me out of darkness darkness into the marvelous light that's part of the revealed will of god for you and for myself god desires holiness 1 thessalonians 4 3 for this is the will of god i mean you can't ask for anything more plain than i like that when i'm reading scripture right these other areas it's it's i mean you're reading and you're meditating you're thinking on it it's like okay yeah i can see there's things that god desires of of me here but when Paul just flat out says, this is the will of God for you, you're sort of, I mean, you, you creep up on the edge of your seat a little bit, right? You turn up, you turn up the, the ear. You listen a little bit more sharply. This is the will of God for you. Do you want to know what God has revealed for you, his desire for you? His desire for you is your sanctification. Growing in holiness, in Christ-likeness. From the day of your conversion... To the day that you're standing before your beloved Savior, that growth, that trajectory is a lifetime of holiness. Yeah, a little jagged up and down, but God's revealed will for you is a continual life of growing in holiness. God desires rejoicing, prayer, and thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this rejoicing for this praying without ceasing for this giving thanks in all circumstances is the will of god in christ jesus for you do you want to know what god's revealed will for you is it's for your life because the gospel has completely changed you transferred you out of the domain of darkness and transplanted you into the kingdom of the beloved son god's will is that your life be marked by rejoicing by prayer and by giving thanks in Christ Jesus. This is his desire for you. Also, not only are we to understand, remember I said that there's this idea of understanding and we're not only merely meant to go, okay, I I see those things in scripture. I understand what you're saying, John. But God moves us beyond that point to where it's knowledge, it's understanding but it's knowledge and understanding that stirs within us a response of obedience so that we can rightly show the world what is true and not only are we to understand what god desires of us but we are to respond to scripture as well and here again our god lovingly guides us as to what a proper response looks like i mean this is so good 
Right? So what God doesn't say is, hey, here's a bunch of things I desire of you. Hey, uh, uh, really, try to figure this out, really, before you screw up. He doesn't do that. He says, here is the things I desire of you, and let me show you and lovingly lead you and guide you towards how to respond rightly to these things. We are to respond in two key ways. We are to pray for God's will. Matthew 6 Verse 10, Sermon on the Mount, disciples asking how they can pray, and buried right there in the middle of the Lord's Prayer is this. He's teaching the disciples to pray, your kingdom come, what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the prayer, your will be done, provides a pattern for us to pray on the basis of God's commands and scripture. So when we're praying, God, your will be done, just as it is done as fully and completely and as obediently and as with joy and as with love in heaven, God, I desire for my neighbors, for my relatives, for my coworker, for my boss around me who are not living this way, I desire for them to live out with joyful obedience because the gospel has changed their heart. I desire for the revealed will of God in their lives to be a joyous thing, not a thing to be repudiated. And so Jesus comes along and he teaches us a right way to pray. And in this sense, Jesus provides us with a guide for a broad range of prayer requests. We are encouraged by Christ to pray that people would obey God's laws, that they would follow his principles for life, and that they would obey his commands to repent of sin and trust in Christ as Savior. To pray these things is to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the other side of that coin, the other side of the proper response, as we think in these categories, we can respond by rightly praying for God's will, and we can also respond rightly by obeying God's will. Matthew seven twenty one says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He is the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is tying very closely together this idea of salvation and this idea of joyful obedience to the will of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, so who will enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus answers this. The one who will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A couple chapters later, Matthew records for us this little interchange between Jesus and some people. Matthew 12, 46 through 50, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In this little interchange, Jesus is teaching us that it is not merely enough to associate ourselves with God by confession only, but we prove ourselves to be true members of the family of God when our actions correspond to our confession. Like Anybody can come along and say, yeah, I'm a follower of God. I'm a follower of Christ. Christ has saved me. But when you look at the broad panorama of their life, if you, as you look at the broad spectrum of their life from the day that they would say, I started confessing Christ here to the time that you've just met them 
and you look across their life and you see, yes, they're confessing Christ, but yes, they're confessing Christ, but their life is marked by a life of just rebellion and not giving two rips about what God requires of them, Jesus is saying there is a huge disconnect here. There is a person claiming, confessing with their mouth to be part of the fold and the family of God. But Jesus comes along and says, do you want to know who's truly within the fold? Who is truly within the family of God? It is the one who confesses and his confession takes root in his heart and springboards him towards joyful, loving, hope-filled obedience. It's the one who responds rightly by obeying. So what is our response to this? So, um, so we're thinking through these things and this idea of revealed will and secret will and, and, and you know, right? So, I mean, it can be sort of heady and it's like, oh, you know, God knows things and we don't. And it's in the future and it's like we can sort of just get bogged down in all this. But I think there can be three right ways that we respond. Response number one is this. In light of this list of understanding God's desires and responding rightly to what God desires of us, our inclination is to sink under its weight, right? So, I mean, I just read for you guys a a semi-hefty list. God desires obedience, love for one another, worship, holiness, rejoicing, prayer, thanksgiving, praying for others, obeying God's will because we've been changed by the gospel itself. And what we can do is, in in the inclination of our heart and the proclivity of the way we drift is, oh, big list, I don't like this. And the weight of that list and this idea that I can never attain to fully accomplishing that list comes and it just it comes a weight on our shoulder and it sort of stoops us over and eventually what we do is we let that weight of these things that God desires of us push us down to where instead of crying out and running to Christ to find help, what we do is just do the easier thing, which we think in our mind is the easier thing, is we just shed the weight of what God requires of us and go, man, like this feels really great. But what you're doing is You've shed the very commands of God so that you can step forward in lightness of step. But what you're doing is you're living out a life of just raw disobedience. So in light of this list of understanding God's desires and responding rightly, our inclination is to sink under its weight. And we hear what God wants of us and we respond, your desires, they're, they're not for my good. Like, I'm sort of sinking under the weight of these desires. They, they don't bring me joy. They're supposed to bring me joy, but the weight is pressing me down towards hatred of your desires. And let me, listen, brothers and sisters, Satan's deepest desire is for us to hear what God desires of us and to buy the lie that we can't properly respond to it because it is too much of a weight for us to bear. Like, Satan is very happy with you thinking this way. He takes much joy in us thinking we cannot rightly live out the desires of God. Because if he causes us and tricks us to buy the lie, then he has won the battle of another Christian who becomes inert. He's just a guy just sitting on the pew doing nothing. He's living out a life of disobedience. But it is here in this accusation that I believe that Satan is preaching better than he knows. Because the list of desires and responses truly is impossible for us to accomplish on our own. If we try to perform these things on our own, we will always fall short of God, of what God requires. This is why we need gospel change in our hearts. We need God to change our heart so that we are enabled to obey. A true circumcision of the heart is what we need. 
But a true circumcision of the heart is beyond the capability of any human being to perform on his own. This is the key covenant relationship, the key idea between God and his people. I can't change my heart. God, you can change my heart. So please come and change my heart. And that's exactly what you see here in Deuteronomy 29 and 36 and 30, 11 through 14. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And the Lord your God will come and he will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And this is what then enables us to carry out the commandment that God has commanded us today. For truly now, because the gospel has changed our heart, it is not too hard for us. Neither is it far off. Verse 14, but the word is near you. It is in the mouth and it's in your heart so that you can do it. This is the key covenantal idea. It peaks in Jeremiah. It peaks in Ezekiel. It's this idea that we have hearts of stone and we need to have hearts of flesh. We need the spirit of the living God to come and change our hearts. So what we do is not look at the desires of God and go, God, I hate you because you're requiring so much of me, but we need God to come and circumcise our hearts. We need the gospel to come and completely change our hearts so that when we can look at the laws of God, the commands of God of what he desires from us, we can go, yes, I joyfully I with joy and love step into obedience because as when I step into obedience and live out what you desire of me, then your life becomes a clarion trumpet blast of the good news of the gospel in your life. Now, for some, that just may not even be where you're at. That may not be how you need to respond. But for some, there may be a disconnect of ignorance. So it's not so much a disconnect of I repudiate, I look down upon God's desires of me because I'm not a believer. But you might say, well, I am a believer. That gospel change, John, that you've just been talking about, it's true. But you still survey your life and go, but there's still a disconnect somewhere. So for some of you, there may be a disconnect of ignorance. You're not properly responding to God's revealed will because you are robbing yourself of its source, the scriptures. So maybe this is a time where you anchor yourself freely and with joy back in your Bible. The gospel of Jesus Christ has set you free from seeing scripture as a burdensome list of do's and don'ts. And knowing what God demands of you is no longer a legalistic act you perform to attain God's favor. But it is a sweet act of worship because Christ has made you right through his work on the cross. That might be some of you today. Yes, John, I'm a believer, but the disconnect of my soul is this, that I have not anchored myself to the text, that I have not let the word of God rule and reign with good and right authority of my life. And the reason why I am not living out God's desire for my life here and now in the present is because I don't know what God's revealed will is for my life because I'm not a student of the scriptures. That might be you, lastly. Yet for others, it may be this. There may be a disconnect of faithful obedience. So you have had gospel change. You are a student of the scriptures. But maybe for you, it's a disconnect of faithful obedience. When it comes to understanding the scriptures, it is not enough for us just to merely know, but it is right and good for us to be doers. 
what we're not meant to do is come to the Scriptures and understand it and look at it and go, okay, that is great, more knowledge, heaping knowledge up upon knowledge. But what we're to do is to come and go, yes, I see this, gospel changes come. I see this, I see what God is requiring and asking of me. But then it is in turn to go, because this is true, we're to make the connect that gospel confession is meant to lead to right action. It isn't Satan's accusations or a lack of understanding that is the source of our disconnect. Rather, it is the disconnect of confession stirring up gospel-centered action. And this isn't just on an individualistic level. Where are the disconnects with me? Because I think it would be very easy for us to step forward in this point and go, man, I see how I'm not doing this, and I see where there's disconnect from me, and we look at ourselves in the mirror, and there's a sort of very individualistic aspect to this. But what we're meant to do is look across the broad, broad spectrum of our life. Where are the disconnects in understanding and leading to right response across the spectrum of life? So it might be in worship. Maybe there's a disconnect when you, in, in worship of God. Maybe there's a disconnect for you, Dad, and how you lead your family because you don't know the revealed will of God. Maybe there's a disconnect for you, single, because there is um, an aspect where you're not connecting yourself to the revealed will of God as it looks like what it means to be a servant or a disciple. Or maybe it is for you, moms, on what it looks like to be a missionary in your home. Maybe not a missionary to the nations, but there's a disconnect in your life of what it looks like to be a missionary in your home on the front lines of hell itself fighting for the hearts of your children. Maybe it's a disconnect on the revealed will of God of what it looks like for you and your location. Maybe you don't see your neighbors with the eyes of Christ. Maybe you don't see your boss and your work with the eyes of Christ. Maybe it's recreation. Maybe you're just such a hard charger and the idol of your heart is work to where you don't know what the revealed will of God is. We have Sabbath, we have rest, and we have peace. That there is a right outworking of the revealed will of God in your life in the realm of recreation. Or maybe it's just the gospel itself, that there is a disconnect of the full orb, holistic goodness of the gospel. That it's just not simply the, merely the, the gospel of the kingdom, that we have life with God under the rule of God. But it is this, that we have the good news of the cross, that Christ and the work on the 